Book Four, Chapter Eight of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Four, Chapter Eight. In which Glastonbury is very much astonished. It was a gusty autumnal night. Glastonbury sat alone in his tower. Every now and then the wind, amid a chorus of groaning branches and hissing rain, dashed against his window. Then its power seemed gradually lulled, and perfect stillness succeeded, until a low moan was heard again in the distance, which gradually swelled into storm. The countenance of the good old man was not so serene as usual. Occasionally his thoughts seemed to wander from the folio open before him, and he fell into fits of reverie, which impressed upon his visage an expression rather of anxiety than study. The old man looked up to the portrait of the unhappy Lady Armine, and heaved a deep sigh. Were his thoughts of her, or of her child? He closed his book, he replaced it upon its shelf, and taking from a cabinet an ancient crucifix of carved ivory, he bent down before the image of his Redeemer. Even while he was buried in his devotions, praying, perchance, for the soul of that sinning yet sainted lady, whose memory was never absent from his thoughts, or the prosperity of that family to whom he had dedicated his faithful life. The noise of ascending footsteps was heard in the sudden stillness, and immediately a loud knocking at the door of his outer chamber. Surprised at this unaccustomed interruption, Glastonbury rose and inquired the object of his yet unseen visitor, but, on hearing a well-known voice, the door was instantly unbarred, and Ferdinand Armine, pale as a ghost and deluged to the skin, appeared before him. Glastonbury ushered his guest into his cell, replenished the fire, retrimmed the lamp, and placed Ferdinand in his own easy seat. "'You are wet, I fear, thoroughly.' "'It matters not,' said Captain Armine, in a hollow voice. "'From Bath?' inquired Glastonbury, but his companion did not reply. At length, he said, in a voice of utter wretchedness, "'Glastonbury, you see before you the most miserable of human beings.' The good father started. "'Yes,' continued Ferdinand, "'this is the end of all your care, all your affection, all your hopes, all your sacrifices. It is over. Our house is fated.' my life draws to an end. Speak, my Ferdinand, said Glastonbury, for his pupil seemed to have relapsed into moody silence. Speak to your friend and father. Disburden your mind of the weight that presses on it. Life is never without hope, and while this remains, pointing to the crucifix, never without consolation. I cannot speak. I know not what to say. My brain sinks under the effort. It is a wild, complicated tale, it relates to feelings with which you cannot sympathise, thoughts you cannot share. Oh, Glastonbury, there is no hope, there is no solace. Calm yourself, my Ferdinand, not merely as your friend, but as a priest of our holy church. I call upon you to speak to me. Even to me, the humblest of its ministers, is given a power that can sustain the falling and make whole the broken in spirit. Speak, and speak fearlessly nor shrink from exposing the very inmost recesses of your breast, for I can sympathise with your passions, be they even as wild as I believe them. Ferdinand turned his eyes from the fire on which he was gazing, and shot a scrutinising glance at his kind confessor. 
but the countenance of Glastonbury was placid, though serious. "'You remember,' Ferdinand at length murmured, "'that we met. We met unexpectedly some six weeks back.' "'I have not forgotten it,' replied Glastonbury. "'There was a lady,' Ferdinand continued, in a hesitating tone. "'Whom I mistook for Miss Grandison,' observed Glastonbury, "'but who, it turned out, bore another name. "'You know it. I know all, for her father has been here.' "'Where are they?' exclaimed Ferdinand eagerly, starting from his seat and seizing the hand of Glastonbury. "'Only tell me where they are. Only tell me where Henrietta is, and you will save me, Glastonbury. You will restore me to life, to hope, to heaven.' "'I cannot,' said Glastonbury, shaking his head. "'It is more than ten days ago that I saw this lady's father, for a few brief and painful moments. For what purpose your conscience may inform you?' From the unexpected interview between ourselves in the gallery, my consequent misconception, and the conversation which it occasioned, I was not so unprepared for this interview with him as I otherwise might have been. Believe me, Ferdinand, I was as tender to your conduct as was consistent with my duty to my God and to my neighbour. You betrayed me then, said Ferdinand. Ferdinand, said Glastonbury reproachfully, I trust that I am free from deceit of any kind. In the present instance, I had not even to communicate anything. Your own conduct had excited suspicion. Some visitors from Bath to this gentleman and his family had revealed everything, and, in deference to the claims of an innocent lady, I could not refuse to confirm what was no secret to the world in general, what was already known to them in particular, what was not even doubted, and, alas, not dubitable. Oh, my father, pardon me, pardon me, pardon the only disrespectful expression that ever escaped the lips of your ferdinand towards you most humbly do i ask your forgiveness but if you knew all god my heart is breaking you have seen her glastonbury you have seen her was there ever on earth a being like her so beautiful so highly gifted with a heart as fresh as fragrant as the dawn of eden and that heart mine and all lost all gone and lost oh why am i alive he threw himself back in his chair and covered his face and wept. "'I would that deed or labour of mine could restore you both to peace,' said Glastonbury, with streaming eyes. "'So innocent, so truly virtuous,' continued Ferdinand. "'It seemed to me I never knew what virtue was till I knew her. "'So frank, so generous. "'I think I see her now, with that dear smile of hers, "'that never more may welcome me. "'My child, I know not what to say. "'I know not what advice to give.' I know not what even to wish. Your situation is so complicated, so mysterious, that it passes my comprehension. There are others whose claims, whose feelings should be considered. You are not, of course, married. Ferdinand shook his head. Does Miss Grandison know all? Nothing. Your family? Ferdinand shook his head again. What do you yourself wish? What object are you aiming at? What game have you yourself been playing? I speak not in harshness, but I really do not understand what you have been about. If you have your grandfather's passions, you have his brain too. I did not ever suppose that you were infirm of purpose. I have only one wish, only one object. Since I first saw Henrietta, my heart and resolution have never for an instant faltered, and if I do not now succeed in them, I am determined not to live. The God of all goodness, have mercy on this distracted house exclaimed Glastonbury, as he piously lifted his hands to heaven. 
"'You went to Bath to communicate this great change to your father,' he continued. "'Why did you not?' "'Painful as the explanation must be to Miss Grandison, "'the injustice of your conduct towards her is aggravated by delay.' "'There were reasons,' said Ferdinand, "'reasons which I never intended any one to know. "'But now I have no secrets. "'Dear Glastonbury, even amid all this overwhelming misery, "'my cheek burns when I confess to you that I have, "'and have had for years, private cares of my own, "'of no slight nature. "'Debts?' inquired glastonbury debts replied ferdinand and considerable ones poor child exclaimed glastonbury and this drove you to the marriage to that every worldly consideration impelled me my heart was free then in fact i did not know i had a heart and i thought the marriage would make all happy but now so far as i am myself concerned oh i would sooner be the commonest peasant in this country with henrietta temple for the partner of my life than live at armine with all the splendour of my ancestors honour be to them they were great men exclaimed glastonbury i am their victim replied ferdinand i owe my ancestors nothing nay worse than nothing i owe them hush hush said glastonbury if only for my sake ferdinand be silent for yours then not for theirs but why did you remain at bath required glastonbury i had not been there more than a day or two when my principal creditor came down from town and menaced me he had a power of attorney from a usurer at malta and talked of applying to the horse guards the report that i was going to marry an heiress had kept these fellows quiet but the delay and my absence from bath had excited his suspicion instead therefore of coming to an immediate explanation with catherine brought about as i had intended by my coldness and neglect i was obliged to be constantly seen with her in public to prevent myself from being arrested yet i wrote to juicy daily i had confidence in my energy and skill i thought that henrietta might be for a moment annoyed or suspicious i thought however she would be supported by the fervour of my love i anticipated no other evil who could have supposed that these infernal visitors would have come at such a moment to this retired spot and now is all known now inquired glastonbury nothing replied ferdinand the difficulty of my position was so great that i was about to cut the knot by quitting bath and leaving a letter addressed to catherine confessing all but the sudden silence of henrietta drove me mad day after day elapsed two three four five six days and i heard nothing the moon was bright the mail was just going off i yielded to an irresistible impulse i bid adieu to no one i jumped in i was in london only ten minutes i dashed to ducie it was deserted an old woman told me the family had gone had utterly departed she knew not where but she thought for foreign parts i sank down i tottered to a seat in that hall where i had been so happy then it flashed across my mind that i might discover their course and pursue them i hurried to the nearest posting-town i found out their route i lost it for ever at the next stage the clue was gone it was market-day and in a great city where horses are changed every minute there is so much confusion that my inquiries were utterly baffled and here i am mr glastonbury added ferdinand with a kind of mad smile i have travelled four days i have not slept a wink i have tasted no food but i have drunk i have drunk well here i am and i have half a mind to set fire to that accursed pile called armine castle for my funeral pyre 
"'Ferdinand, you are not well,' said Mr. Glastonbury, grasping his hand. "'You need rest. You must retire. Indeed you must. I must be obeyed. My bed is yours.' "'No. Let me go to my own room,' murmured Ferdinand in a faint voice. "'That room where my mother said the day would come. Oh, what did my mother say? Would there were only mother's love, and then I should not be here, or thus.' "'I pray you, my child, rest here.' no let us to the place for an hour i shall not sleep more than an hour i am off again directly the storm is over if it had not been for this cursed rain i should have caught them and yet perhaps they are in countries where there is no rain ah who would believe what happens in this world not i for one now give me your arm good glastonbury you are always the same you seem to me the only thing in the world that is unchanged Glastonbury, with an air of great tenderness and anxiety, led his former pupil down the stairs. The weather was more calm. There were some dark blue rifts in the black sky which revealed a star or two. Ferdinand said nothing in their progress to the place except once, when he looked up to the sky, and said as it were to himself, She loved the stars. Glastonbury had some difficulty in rousing the man and his wife, who were the inmates of the place, but it was not very late, and fortunately they had not retired for the night. Lights were brought into Lady Armine's drawing-room. Glastonbury led Ferdinand to a sofa, on which he rather permitted others to place him than seated himself. He took no notice of anything that was going on, but remained with his eyes open, gazing feebly with a rather vacant air. Then the good Glastonbury looked to the arrangement of his sleeping-room, drawing the curtains, seeing that the bed was well aired and warmed, and himself adding blocks to the wood-fire which soon kindled nor did he forget to prepare, with the aid of the good woman, some hot potion that might soothe and comfort his stricken and exhausted charge, who in this moment of distress and desolation had come, as it were, and thrown himself on the bosom of his earliest friend. When all was arranged, Glastonbury descended to Ferdinand, whom he found in exactly the same position as that in which he left him. He offered no resistance to the invitation of Glastonbury to retire to his chamber. He neither moved nor spoke, and yet seemed aware of all they were doing. Glastonbury and the stout serving-man bore him to his chamber, relieved him from his wet garments, and placed him in his earliest bed. When Glastonbury bade him good-night, Ferdinand faintly pressed his hand, but did not speak, and it was remarkable that while he passively submitted to their undressing him, and seemed incapable of affording them the slightest aid, yet he thrust forth his hand to guard a lock of dark hair, that was placed next to his heart. End of Book 4, Chapter 8